Please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be reading from verses 12 and 14 for our scripture this morning. If you do not have a Bible, the scripture will be up on the screens. Again, it's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, College Park. So glad you're here today. It's been great to worship together already, hasn't it? Praise the Lord. Thank you. Take your Bibles. Let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 1, text that um, we've already read this morning. And um, as you're turning there, let's pray together. Father, we come today expecting to be able to hear from you. And we want right now, before we get into this text, to ask you to fill our minds and our hearts with what it is that you want to say to us by your spirit through the word. We pray for a supernatural encounter with the living Christ today in this room. We pray that as we consider the reality of our past and the powerful redemption that is ours in Jesus, that you would fill us with great gratitude, unbelievable hearts that want to worship you, and hope, hope that will carry us from this moment forward. And um, so we ask you to use your word, as you have so often, and we pray that today might even be the day where um, men and women receive you as Savior and Lord today. Converge, we pray, the spirit, the circumstances, the word with people's lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're not sure exactly if it was John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, or if it was um, a man by the name of John Berridge, who was an English um, preacher uh, in the fields of uh, England who uh, was arrested for his uh, proclamation of the gospel in fields. But what we do know is that what either one of these men wrote, they nailed it as it relates to the law and the gospel. Here's how it goes. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Greater news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. Hear that? Run, John, run. The law demands and gives us neither feet nor hands. Greater news, the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. There's another um, poet by the name of um, Ralph Erskine. He was a Scottish Presbyterian minister. He was in prison for um, field preaching. And he wrote this, A rigid matter was the law, demanding brick, denying straw. But when with gospel tongue it sings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. You see, in the end, it doesn't really matter who wrote the poems. It doesn't matter um, who said what. The, the point of the poems is this, that there is an immense difference between the law and the gospel, and that contrast between the two is significant, and we need to note it. 
The difference between the law and the gospel is not just an academic issue, but rather it is the difference between the message of the Bible and the message of Satan. It is the difference between the purpose of Jesus' life and helping you understand how lost and bad you really are. The difference between the law and the gospel is the difference between faith and works, between life and death, between freedom and bondage, between truth and error. And when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, he called him to guard the truth that leads to life. That's the theme of this book that we're in the middle of studying right now in chapter 1. Paul wanted Timothy to guard this truth, this truth of the gospel, this gospel that was so different than the law, and to guard it, to guard it with all of his life. And we've seen already in our study in 1 Timothy that Paul has already helped us to understand the danger of the law. And we learned last week that the law is good, but you have to use it correctly. That the law has this element in it that it is, it's wonderfully hopeless, this law is. It's wonderfully hopeless in the sense that it has the ability to expose our sin. It has the ability to point us to Christ. And what Paul is battling in the city of Ephesus through Timothy are people who are using the law and mixing it with Greek philosophy and making a new code of conduct, a a new rule, a new manner of life. And so Paul wants Timothy to take this truth of the gospel and to guard it. And last week we saw him highlight how useful the law is in really showing us how bad we are. The Bible's crazy that way. It wants us to know how bad we are. And then the good news comes in that Jesus died for sinners. And the Bible would almost ask, are there any sinners? And the law is meant to say, yeah, a lot of them. (laughs) And so the law is wonderfully useful by being terribly hopeless. Now, today we're going to look at the other side of this. We're going to specifically look at the amazing nature of God's grace. So Paul has set up not only this false teaching, but he's also set up the paradox between law and gospel, between sin and grace. And we're going to see in verses 12 to 17, this week and next week, the beauty of what God's grace is all about. And this morning, verses 12 to 14, we're going to see how Paul looks at his past in light of the reality of God's grace. Paul knows by personal experience, and I'm sure that, at least I hope that you do as well, I'm sure that many of you know by personal experience that God's grace is really amazing. And so he's going to show us three things. I want to highlight these. First, that the law, or that grace rather, produces gratitude in contrast to the law. The law produces bondage. Grace produces gratitude and freedom. Secondly, that Grace creates worship. You want to meet people who really know how to get after God, meet people who've experienced the beauty of God's grace. And third, and here's the great thing, is that grace gives hope. So if you've come this Sunday and you're just like, I am so weary, so worn out, you just are just grateful you got here, you sat down, you started singing, you're just like, oh, and you need hope, i got good news for you today. I have lots of hope in the beauty of what God's grace is all about. So let's look at this. Here's the first thing, and that is that grace produces gratitude. Verse 12, it says, I thank him who has given me strength. I want you to notice here first where Paul begins. He begins as he reflects on the grace of God with the issue of gratitude. This theme, this thankfulness, this gratitude thing, this you need to know, is the overarching imprint of anyone 
in their life who understands the beauty of God's grace. In other words, when you understand God's grace, when you understand the beauty of what he has done for you, when you see the extent of what you were like in the law, and you see the power of God's unbelievable grace, something comes out of your heart, and what comes out of your soul is gratitude. That's why he says, I thank him. Paul was marked by the beauty of what grace had done in and through his life. Paul had reason to be thankful. Now, what's really remarkable is the word that Paul uses in this text for thank is the Greek word charis. It's a word that means grace. And Paul could have used other words for thanks, but he uses this word. And all of the translations correctly render it as thanks, because grace can mean thanks. But it just was remarkable to me that here's Paul reflecting on grace, and he uses the word grace to talk about grace. As though he knows he is a graced man. This word is so important to the Apostle Paul. Let me give you a few examples of how he uses it. He uses it in his greetings. He says grace to you, like in Romans 1.7. He uses the word grace as a summary of salvation. He says the grace of God. He refers to grace as that which is the power over sin. He says in Romans 5, when sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And as well about God's way that he gives, that he graciously gives us all things. So this is an enormously important word that summarizes the generous and gracious activity of God towards people who do not deserve what they have received. So what do we mean by grace? Grace is receiving something that you don't deserve. And as a result, when you've received something that you don't deserve, an expressions of thanks, thanksgiving, gratitude, is simple, simply the normal response of those who get it in terms of what they have received. So to talk about grace, I've been a graced man, means that he realizes what he has, he hasn't received. So when you pray at a meal... Oftentimes you might ask someone to pray and you say, well, you offer thanks. But others of you are more familiar with it referring to that prayer this way. Would someone please say grace? See, that's how Paul's using it right there. This idea of, of expressions of gratitude, expressions of thanksgiving, expressions of, 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 of this heart that understands the beauty of what God has done for him in Christ. And he says, thanks, I thank him who has given me strength. There is a direct relationship, friends, between grace and gratitude. In fact, I hope you, I hope you leave today just really, really thankful. Romans 6, Paul says, And thanks be to God that you once were slaves of sin, but you have become obedient from the heart. Or Romans 7, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 7, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, when, when Paul says thanks, he's not just expressing gratitude. What he is doing is he is identifying that everything he has received in life has come completely from the undeserved nature of himself and the unbelievable, overwhelming graciousness of a God who's given him everything that he has. So the mark upon his life, the one characteristic of him, the most life-defining reality of his life, Life is grace. He is a man who has been ever marked by divine kindness. He is a grace man. And the question I would have for you is, are you a grace man or a grace 
woman. Because when you first experience God's grace, there's a lot of gratitude that might flow out of your heart as the newness of this grace comes online as you understand it. But for the rest of your life, this gratitude thing needs to keep flowing through your heart because you understand more and more and more all of what God saved you from and what he saved you towards. That's why we often, almost every Sunday, talk in some way about the gospel because it is everything that we have and it is the basis of your hope in the future. When something happens to you that's incredibly kind, it's just a natural response to say thanks. So last evening I was completing a transaction online with um, the Apple store for a couple things for my wife. And when I got done, my kids, who just really think I'm cool when I'm on the Apple store, were looking over my shoulder going, oh, that's cool, that's cool. And then one of my sons said, Dad, my word, why'd you pay that that much for that thing? And I was like, oh. He's like, that's expensive. I'm like, oh, no. And he said, what? I said, I ordered three of them. <laughs> oh, no. Yikes. Yikes. So I quickly got online, and I tried to, to fix it. Saw this cancel order button. So I'm pushing the cancel order button. And as I'm pushing it, it's saying, sorry, um, can't cancel. Your items have already shipped. It was like 15 minutes. I was like, what in the world? No, cancel, 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 cancel. And no, and so I called this number. So I called the number. I talked to some really nice person who knows where they were living. And I said, hi, I'm Mark. And I, 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 I tried to order this thing for my wife. And I ordered too many of them. I like to cancel the order. And, and this person, oh, let me check. And she got back on. She goes, I'm really sorry, but we've already shipped it. And I said, already shipped it? It's only been 30 minutes. And she was very apologetic. And I was like, I, and, I, and I was just shocked. I was like, unbelievable that you got it out that fast. It's, it's crazy. She goes, well, let me see what I can do. So she goes back on the phone. She's gone a long time, comes back, and she says, here's what we're going to do, Mr. Vroga. She said, um, you can take this over to the Apple store, return it, and uh, you'll be able to get your money back. And I was like, okay, great. That's all I was really looking for. And she said, and just for the trouble of not having to be able to cancel your order here uh, quickly, um, we're going to go ahead and give you one of these things for free. And I was like, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. So let me get straight. So you shipped it too quickly to me. And now you're giving me something for free. And she said, yes, that's correct. And I said, that is awesome. Thank you. (laughs) I kept thinking, what else could I get, right? What else could I do here? But, But the reality is what came out of my heart in that moment, it was unanticipated, undeserved. I mean, undeserved kindness. And so the natural response is, is thanks. And I'm telling you what, look, beyond little products that you get in the mail and things that you order from Apple Store, things of that sort, you've been given an unbelievable gift from God that you completely didn't deserve. And what's on the line here is not just when you get your product. What's on the line is what's going on in your soul. And God has been incredibly kind and incredibly gracious to you. And therefore, what should come out of your heart is gratitude. So if you came in here feeling kind of down or grumpy or mopey or critical or negative, I just got news for you. You need to hear the gospel again and to be reminded of what God rescued you from. This is a game changer. This changes how you see little um, things that happen in life. This changes how you, you, you view every uh, thing that takes place as it relates to inconveniences or challenges. It means that you view all of your life through this lens of gratitude and thanksgiving. This is the natural response of understanding God's grace. Gratitude. But not, listen to me, not the kind of gratitude where you're trying to pay God back. Like, He's been really gracious to me, so I have to be thank you. You ever have to be grateful, have to say thank you. You have a relative like that? You get a gift and you're like, got to get the thank you in like 4.5 days or we're going to be in trouble. That kind of takes away the joy of the gift, doesn't it? For that matter, this, this I have to pay you back mentality is 
really not really understanding what God's grace is. Gratitude is the effect of God's grace, not the way that you then live in terms of now paying God back or earning what he has now given to you. John Piper, in his great book, Future Grace, quotes Andrew Murray, who was thinking about this very issue. Look what Andrew Murray says. The idea that many Christians have of grace is this, that their conversion and pardon are God's work, but now, in gratitude to God, it is their work to live as Christians and follow Jesus. No, wandering one, as it was Jesus who drew thee when he spoke, come, so it is Jesus who keeps thee when he says, abide. This last sentence is really important. The past grace to come and the future grace to abide are alike from him alone. This is why followers of Jesus are to be grateful and thankful their entire lives. Because they know the grace that they've been given and then every day that they live they have grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And they, the more they live in God's grace, the more they understand of what Paul was saying. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus. So, grace first produces gratitude. Here's the second thing that grace produces. Grace also produces worship. We see here Paul's focus on the beauty of what God had done for him. Not just that he had received God's grace and that produced gratitude, but rather that undergirding all of the things in Paul's life was a sovereign plan of God. And by that I mean that nothing happened by accident. You realize you're not here by accident today. God's orchestrated all the, the things, all the circumstances in your life, all the things that happened last week, all things going to happen next week. All of those are under the umbrella of God's sovereign control. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. So there's three little things to notice. Actually, they're huge things, but the three little statements. I thank him, first, who has given me strength. Secondly, because he judged me faithful. And three, He appointed me to his service. So these three things relate to God's work in Paul's life. Three things. The first is that when Paul thinks back on his life and he sees the waywardness of his life, when he sees what he was like, he knows that it was Jesus who gave him strength. That it was Jesus who gave him strength. What is he talking about? What does Paul mean by spiritual strength? What he's talking about is the fact that Paul received spiritual empowerment from Jesus. So the word to be strengthened means that undergirding all of the things that were going on in Paul's life, all the things that were taking place, all the circumstances that were happening, there was this divinely given ability. This divinely given ability that God gave to Paul such that it woke Paul up from where he was formerly such that Paul could see the beauty of who Jesus was and the horror of what he was doing to Jesus. For Paul, this happened on the Damascus Road when Jesus shows up and he says, Paul, or Saul, in that case, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is the same Jesus who he called a fake. He was persecuting the church. Jesus shows up and Paul looks at this past of his life and realizes i thank him who has given me strength you see what was happening is that paul was very religious galatians 3 he says that he was a a pharisee of the pharisees he was circumcised the third day 
In all matter, he was obedient. He, he got it, got it, nailed it, nailed it, been there, done that. I got all the best schools, all the scenarios and situations. And yet here's the crazy thing. Yet while Paul was very busy doing a lot of religious things, while he was alive spiritually, check this out, he was dead, spirit, he was, he was dead spiritually. So he's alive physically, but he's dead spiritually. In other words, Paul is walking around with all of this religious activity and he's a spiritual dead man. And tragically, while he's doing all of this, he's absolutely convinced that what he's doing is right. So he's not only lost, he's not only religious, but he's also blind. And the result is that Paul is going after his own way. So when Paul writes Romans 3 and he says these words, he's thinking of himself when he says this. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Here's the crazy thing. You can be religious and not seeking God. You can do all sorts of great things and not seeking God. In fact, Paul says there's not one person on their own who seeks for God. So you might go, well, wait a minute. Didn't, didn't Paul eventually, after, he was, after Jesus came, didn't he seek God? Absolutely he did. But it came as a result of the spiritual strength which was supplied to him by Jesus. The book of Acts uses another example, Lydia. Of whom it said, this is Acts 16, 14, that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So the idea is a group of people, Lydia's in that crowd, and Paul is talking, talking, falling on deaf ears, deaf ears, deaf ears, and suddenly Lydia, God opens her heart, she hears it differently, and as a result of the spiritual strength that God supplies, it says she paid attention to what was said by Paul. So listen to me. Let's be very carefully. To be strengthened in this way is not just to have the power to do what you are already doing, but do it a little bit better. To be strengthened is not, you don't have power to do what you're already going to do and to do it better. No, no, no. This is God-given strength to do what you would never do unless God helped you. You would never come to Him. You'd never believe the gospel. You would never see the cross. You wouldn't see yourself. You'd be left in a blind state pursuing your own pleasures, your own desires, following the wickedness of your heart. And if God didn't come and show you the beauty of who Jesus is and strengthen you, you would be lost. Now don't make the mistake of thinking some sort of fatalism that, well, did I believe? Didn't I believe? Sure you believed. Don't I obey? Am I a robot? Does God make me obey? No, you certainly do obey, but don't make the mistake of thinking you either believed or obey on your own. As if somehow you, you made yourself. You, you're the one who did this. No, he says, I thank him who strengthened me. So undergirding all of the activities of life is this beautiful, sovereign plan of God. Remember, there's a 13-year-old boy sitting in a chapel service at a camp heard the gospel, and all of a sudden, bang, the lights go on. Just, I get it. I understand it. I I, I feel the weight of my sin. I see the horror of who I am. I see the power of the cross. And even though this thing happened 2,000 years ago, I long to believe in this Jesus and receive him as my Savior. And the light bulb going on is the spiritual strength that God supplied. And I know as I look back on that, sure I was believing, sure I was exercising faith, but I know as sure as I am here today, I was not doing it alone. Then he says this, God judged me faithful. 
This is so interesting. God judged me faithful. Paul must have doing a little bit of a play on words here or using a bit of irony after all. Is he faithful? Paul's not faithful. He judged me faithful. What, is, what does this mean? The word judge is the strengthened word form of the word that means to lead. So what do you do when you lead someone? You move them from a place that they are to another place that they need to go. And so what God does here with Paul is it says he judged me faithful. In other words, he saw where I am and he called me and determined that I would be in a different place. He declared Paul to be, listen, something that he wasn't. So the idea of judging means that he considered Paul faithful. He esteemed him faithful. He supposed him faithful. He thought him faithful. He treated him as though he were faithful. In other words, what happens is Christ considered Paul faithful and treated him as being faithful even though he wasn't. It's unbelievable. So understand this, this grace. Grace is being given a power that you could never muster, and it means being treated in a way that you don't deserve. It's being declared faithful when you and God know that you're not. It's unbelievable. And then we see how Paul views his appointment into the ministry. It's, it's not only remarkable that he's been given spiritual strength, and not only remarkable that he's been declared faithful, but he, God does even more. He gives Paul the privilege of serving he, he rescues Paul from his spiritual self-deception. And, and then he has a purpose and a plan for Paul's life. He has, a, he has a mark on the Apostle Paul, a purpose for him. So he not only saved him and redeemed him and strengthened him, but then even calls him to be involved in his mission around the world. And my, my guess is that Paul could look at his life. He could see the sovereign plan of God. He could see the mark of grace in so many places. And you know what? The older you get, the more you can see that. You look back and you see all the things and you realize that nothing in your life happens by accident. And here is a gracious God who gives you strength, a God who declares you faithful, And God is orchestrating all of these things, allowing you to be a part of his program on planet Earth. It is unbelievable. And the result should be a a heart within you that says, God, I can't believe how wonderful and glorious you are. Here's the crazy thing, is that this is not unique just to your life or Paul's life. This is unique to all of our lives. The way that God has worked here is true of all of our lives. There are no coincidences. God is working out a plan for your life. And and I know that as a result of that, there's questions that I I can't fully answer. I don't know all the answers, why he does things and why he doesn't do things. But what I do know is the Bible, when it comes to those crossroads, it just says, cover your mouth and be quiet and look at God. Back to Job. He never answers the question as to why, what's going on. Over and over, God just points Job back to himself and says the who question is far more satisfying than the why question. Why? Because the why question will not always generate worship, but the who question always will. That's the end game. The end game isn't for you to understand all the dots, all the the, the way that the T's are crossed, all the dynamics of what's going on. At the end of the day, life comes down to a commitment of God. I know you are God. I don't understand all things that are going on, but I trust you because you were the one who was at work in my life in the past. I know that was you there. Oh, I was there and I was believing and I was receiving, but you were there and I can't explain it. And therefore, I just bask in the beauty of all of what you are for me in Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. When you look back on the trajectory of your life in the past and you see all the things that were going on, if God's worthy to be trusted in how he rescued you from your sin, 
Don't you think he's worthy to be trusted with what's going on in your life right now? This is why the gospel is so important, because you take your heart back to the gospel and you preach the gospel to your heart and say, look, God was here. He was doing this. When I was 13 years old, God came and he invaded my little heart. God came and he hopefully invaded your heart. And now when you look forward to the future that could look really scary, you say, God, I know you've been there in the past and I believe you're going to be there in the future. And the same grace that brought you to the gospel will be the same grace that will lead you all the way, as John Newton said, home. The supremacy of God over all things is meant to humble us. It's meant to leave us dumbfounded. The beauty of God's mercy as we look to him in worship, as we say things like, God, I am so unbelievably undeserving. I owe you everything. I don't understand why. But here's the deal. I love you. And then the minute you say that, you know you'd never be able to say it if it wasn't for God's grace. You wouldn't even think those thoughts. Just overwhelming. That, that God's grace is so powerful that it can produce gratitude. It's so unbelievable that it can create worship. And, and then, check this out, there's even one more. Look at what Paul says next. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor and an insolent opponent what paul does here friends is he goes into the depth of what he was like in the past he's he's so honest and straightforward about the kind of person that he was before he met jesus he highlights the past not the glory in it but the glory and the beauty of who he had become through jesus so when paul looks back at his past he sees a beautiful thing that god has done and when he thinks about how disappointing his past was He's not full of shame. Rather, he uses his past to tell him something about his Savior, and this leads him to hope. So, so seriously, you have a past too, don't you? We all do. I do. You do. There's things in your life you aren't as proud of. There's things in my life I'm not proud of. My past may not look like Paul's. Your past may not look like his, but there's plenty of junk, plenty of skeletons, plenty of body bags, so to speak, of stuff we just would rather think about Never again. Things when you look back and you're just like, what in the world was I thinking? You ever have that? You travel along the car, all of a sudden the enemy brings that thought back. Throws thoughts in your mind like, who are you? If people knew who you really were, they wouldn't like you. You don't deserve any of this. You've got things that are going on. You wish you could redo a whole section of your life. And yet the reality is you can't. What do you do with that? Well, you do what Paul does. You don't deny it. You don't pretend like it didn't happen. You don't justify it by saying, well, if my mom and dad were different. Or if my, my, my community were different, or if the high school I'd gone to was different, or my church were different, or my pastor was different. You, know, you just own up to the reality of who you were. Verse 13 lists some serious sin issues. He's a blasphemer. I mean, listen, he spoke evil about Jesus. Can you imagine? And then Jesus shows up on the road. Hoo-hoo, that's scary. Oh, I didn't mean what I, I mean, what are you going to do? You get on your face. That's what you do. And then what's worse, friends, is he's not only a blasphemer, but he's a persecutor. He's forcing other people to do things that are awful. Some of you have done that. So it's not just what you've done. It's what you've made other people do. And then he says he was an insolent opponent. You know what that means? It means he was, he was a violent, proud man. 
It means that he was absolutely convinced that he was right. So here's the tragedy of who we are apart from Jesus, is that we'll say awful things, we'll do terrible things, we'll make other people do other things that are just awful, and in so doing we will think that we're absolutely right and justified, and we will strut our way all the way to their ruin and ours, unless Jesus came and woke us up and said, don't you know what you're doing? You are throwing away your life. And when that moment comes, it is only because of his grace. You would have thrown your life away if it wasn't for Jesus. Some of you, you're here today and you are throwing your life away. And the whole reason why you are here is because God by his spirit today is going to speak this word to your heart. You are throwing your life away without Jesus. The problem in your life is not your spouse. It's not your kids. It's not your job. It's not your marital status. It's not being single. It's not the past with your divorce. It's not your job situation. It's not the home you were born into. It's not, it's not the the drug addiction in the past. The problem that's going on in your heart is you. And you're throwing your life away. And if in hearing what I'm saying you hear it, that's not you. Paul was shown mercy. He then goes on and he says, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. He combines two things here, ignorance and unbelief. Meaning he received mercy because he... He didn't know that Jesus was the real deal. So Paul receives mercy because of that. He was, he was guilty of unbelief and he was ignorant. You know what's a little scary to me? Is that not many people understand that there's a difference between ignorance and unbelief and willful rejection of the truth. You know there's a difference. The book of Hebrews warns us that the willful rejection of the truth could put a person out of reach of repentance. Meaning, now that you've heard the reality of who Jesus is, you walk away from this and go, no, 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 no. You move yourself further and further and further away from repentance. And you might think in the back of your mind, no, one day I'm going to turn around and believe this, but the problem is you never will. In fact, the Bible talks about presuming upon God's mercy. Look at this passage in Romans. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. In other words, all these good things are happening to you. Good stuff, good stuff, good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. And you think all this stuff is great, but what you don't know, these are God's messengers to you to awaken your heart that he's sending grace after grace after grace. And if you abuse his grace, the effect is you won't think that these are gifts from him. You'll think these are things you deserve. You'll never see the giver behind the gift. You'll just glory in the gift and think that you're the one who gave it to yourself. The beauty of God's grace is he invades this. And then the passage ends with this glorious statement. I just, there are, I love this passage. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What an unbelievable statement. Paul uses an image here of an overflowing element of grace. Imagine with me a a floodplain, if you will, with a river that hasn't flooded in years. And along the embankments, after steep embankments along this river, is a dry, parched ground with gnarly trees and thorns and briars and prickers. And and nothing can grow there because it's just a dark, parched place. And one day, a violent storm comes and dumps thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons into this river. And the river begins to swell. In fact, it swells so much that this violent storm creates a flood. The the river goes over the top of the banks. And now a flood flows all the way through this, this embankment 
and this floodplain, and it's so violent that it cleans out all of the gnarly trees, it pats down all the briars, and it saturates the ground, now becomes flush with water and fertile soil. And out of this once awful, God-forsaken-looking land comes small little plants and flowers that begin to bloom. The violent flood cleaned up all the junk and it made it a fertile environment for new things to grow. Paul says that when it comes to what God has done, it says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In other words, if your, if your past is like six feet deep, God's grace is like 60. It just overflows. And not only that, when it overflows the embankment, there are, there are residual effects of this, that the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, in other words, these, these things, this faith and love that now comes out of the soil is only because of the overflowing reality of God's grace. So here's the question. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you love Him? Do you know what it means to be forgiven? Are you grateful? Do you, when you sit here, do you think, oh, yes, do you have those feelings? Do you stand in awe of Him? Do these things beat within your heart? You need to know these are real emotions. They're real thoughts. They're real actions. But they are all the effect of God's overflowing grace in your heart. It's a sign that God has overflowed His grace into your soul. Listen, is your past a mess? Are there nasty sin issues? Are there skeletons? Here's the thing. The beauty of God's grace is that He can take the nasty, messed up, shame-filled land of your life and He can flood it with grace and new life. If you were to take a friend to this, this land that I'm creating, hopefully in your mind, and show him or her the beauty of this, this river that has now swelled and now new life has been born, your friend might say, wow, this is gorgeous. And what you would likely say is this, you know what, you should have seen it before. And this is the testimony of anybody who knows what their past is like and what Jesus is like. When they see what you're like, your statement sounds something like this. Well, yeah, but man, you should have seen me before. You don't deny the past. You don't glory in it. What do you do? You use it. You use your past as a platform to show the beauty of what God's grace is all about. So this grace produces gratitude. It produces worship. It gives hope. And again, why hope? Because when you have seen... Listen to me very carefully. If you've got a bad past, do not... Look look at me. Don't miss this. When you have seen what you have been and what God has made you to be, there is hope because you know there is nothing impossible for God. If He could take the mess of my life and if He can turn it around and give me new desires and new affections, He can take the shame of my past and make me new, then there is nothing that God can't take care of. And you become the kind of person whose mantra is, you should have seen me before. This becomes a hopeful statement because if God gave you grace in the past, he is certainly going to give you grace in the future. And so when difficult things come, you get on your knees and say, God, you rescued me from myself. Certainly you have the ability to rescue me from blank. Listen to me. If you know Jesus as your Savior, your, his grace is greater than your past. 
And that hope becomes your hope for the rest of your life. You have been told by God, fly! And here's wings. Run, John, run, the law demands and gives us neither feet nor hands. But greater news the gospel brings, it tells us, fly. And then God gives us grace-filled wings. It's just amazing. And so, Father, we pray that you just would help us to reflect on the beauty, the power, the significance of what it means to have your grace flood our lives. And Father, I pray that for some who are going to hear this message, or in this room or online, some who are throwing their life away, and today, on this Lord's Day, you are opening their heart. You are showing them the beauty and helping them to see the horror of their path. And I pray that today they would feel that unbelievable sense that you love them and that is you calling them, drawing them to yourself. And friend, while we're just in this last moment, if that's you and, and that's where you are, God is moving in your heart. He cares so deeply for you. And today, you can turn your heart and life over to Christ and He can take your messed up, horrible life. He can flood it with grace and He can bring new things. He can bring hope. He can bring healing. He can bring freedom. You, you, you don't know what it means to live until you've met Jesus. And for those of you who know this truth, the and live in this truth, my question for you would be simply this. Do, do you live like someone who's been told to fly and been given wings? Maybe that you just need to fill this sentence prayer as we conclude. Lord, today you've been so faithful and therefore I can trust you today with blank. Take your heart back to the gospel. And be reminded that a Jesus who rescued you from the horrible elements of your past is still the same Jesus who's orchestrating the events of your life today. So Lord Jesus, help us. Empower us. Strengthen us. And fill us with hope. You are all we need and all we have. And that's enough. You call us to fly, and you give us wings. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, if there's something you need to talk about or pray with some of these folks who are up here at the front, we'd love to be able to care for you and help you in any way we can today, all right? God bless you, College Park. I love you. Thanks for coming today.